Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, coming up, uh, I've gotten our answer to why the College Baseball Hall of Fame is not in uh, Omaha. I'll explain that coming up after we get done with our good friend, Matthew Marinas from White Blue Review, who joins us now on the morning after. Uh, very interesting game last night uh, downtown. First half, second half, a little Trey, a little Baylor, a little Kelk little Ashworth, and uh, most importantly, a win and an angry Sean Miller. Uh, good morning, my friend. Morning, guys. How are we doing? Good. Give me – so I'm going to look at it this way, and, and, and maybe I'm off. Probably the morning after that win last night by Creighton with everything that's gone on post or, or post-UConn will not get as much run as it probably should. Am I off on that? I think that's a pretty important win in, in the manner they did last night. Yeah, no, it's going to get – I mean, you're, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, I think it's going to get a little bit forgotten because, uh, you know, Saturday's pink out, and then they have Butler, and then they're going to go on the road um, to Providence and Xavier. Like, you know, they, they the, the schedule is going to get progressively tougher as they go along. Like, every game is going to have a lot of impact to it, especially if they're – as long as they stay in the Big East title race and within striking distance of UConn, each game is going to get increasingly more significant. Um, so, yeah, to that effect, you're probably right. Um, I think, you know, it's big in terms of if you just take this snapshot in time and look at what Creighton's coming off of in terms of the three-overtime game in Newark, putting that road trip and then having a short prep for Xavier and all the minutes they logged, you know, there was a lot of questions about, you know, how much would be left in the tank. Mm-hmm. You know, would the crowd spark them when they needed it? Would they be able to run with Xavier, um, considering the way the Musketeers are playing offensively of late and the three guards they've got going? Um, so, yeah, Creighton answered a lot of questions last night. And I don't know if big picture it'll be a win that, mm-hmm. you know, is significant in terms of this whole season and how it shakes out. But right now in this snapshot in time, it's a pretty big one. Does Baylor Shireman sleep in a hyperbaric chamber? Uh, look, we, we know, and we know that there was the the body transformation a little bit from last year to this year. But my God, the the miles that he continues to put on, and, and, I, and I'm curious, Matt, did you did you sense fatigue in the first half? But then, obviously, the way he closes out, that wasn't there. I mean, just what he's doing from a minute standpoint, and, and doesn't really show any of the effects. Like this is, I get it. The points he puts up is phenomenal, but the minutes he's logging. This is like a this is a, a fascinating story right now. I mean, God, that sense fatigue and warm ups. Like Ryan Cockburner walked out on the floor with his hands in his pocket like a you know, a fifty five year old man, like you know, like he was just going for a stroll. It's like there's a game going and then I think it was like forty five, fifty five minutes before tip, like, you know. It was I think they they looked like they just woke up, you know. Like mm-hmm. they were just they were still recuperating from, from the other day. Yeah, I think I thought fatigue was going to be a big factor, especially with the way Xavier plays. Like I don't, I, you know, they're number two in the Big East in transition offense behind only UConn, and we know how spurtable UConn is. Um, 
And they just they just push off misses, they push off makes, they push off mistakes. Like they they just come at you. Like uh, if you watch that Georgetown game the other night, it was like you know it was like an open gym. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was. I definitely didn't think Creighton um, had a favorable matchup tonight, coming off of what they came off of against Seton Hall. But you know they they got their legs at some point. I think late first half after yeah. Xavier laid at the punch, you know, they yeah. kind of settled back into the game. Took the lead late, uh, right before halftime, before Xavier got it back with another bucket by Desmond Claude, who had a crazy first half. Yeah. And then I think, um, you know, once the, once Creighton was down seven, and I, I think that sequence where Baylor Shire hit the three, um, hit the first free throw, and then made the second of his two second-chance three-pointers from the left wing. Yep. That seemed to like jolt the crowd awake for the duration of the game. So the last ten minutes, it kind of rode the adrenaline from you know the atmosphere to the win. So they were able to gut it out in that respect. Hey, we like to sit here and go. Uh, Baylor's second half was great. Trey kept them alive in the first half, being NBA Trey the way he was cooking. But shouldn't we also maybe put this into the column? That was a Mac win last night. Whether it be pushing the right emotional button or just the way he coached him through the second half from about the eight minute mark on into the end. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I feel like what you know when you look at the boxes that Creighton checked last night from a matchup standpoint, you can see that you know they they did their homework even on a short prep and they had a scheme going in and they executed it to a pretty high level and. You know, when you take all that down, that's that's that that starts with coaching. You know, to get your players prepared to that level and to do the things they did the year. You know, it takes preparation, mental preparation, physical preparation. And when you when you, I mean, Max not lying when he said they only had an hour on on the court um, the last two days to kind of get ready for it. So a lot of it was mental. A lot of it was just you know understanding what they need to do from a game plan standpoint how to execute that. So, I mean, a lot of that goes to the coaching staff and and the way they're able to kind of dissect a, an opponent and figure out weaknesses to exploit, strengths to avoid. Because, um, I mean, every, when you look across the board, mm-hmm. and Jacob and I were talking about this last night, like, Creighton won every single matchup. You know, Kalkbrenner dominated Usman. Uh, mm-hmm. Baylor Shireman and Desmond Claude at worst it's a wash because Claude had the big first half and Baylor had the big second half. Yeah. Um, you know, Trey Alexander outplayed Davion McKnight and then Stephen Ashworth put Quincy Oliveri in a hurt locker, <laughs> which is probably the most surprising, I guess, aspect of the game, the way Oliveri was playing coming in. So, um, yeah, I mean, Creighton won every matchup across the board and a lot of that has to do, you know, with the game plan things they, they identified going in and the way they executed them. Kind of a similar situation and almost a, a similar question as far as what Gary said about a Mac win. I want to talk about a Mac development on this team too with Stephen Ashworth defensively. Look, we we saw that road trip and there was very little on a positive side to take away from the UConn game, but you did see Stephen Ashworth be a factor in that one and ever since, especially defensively, we've seen a lot of strides. I'm curious what your sense in from just a preparation standpoint on how they've gotten Stephen Ashworth to that level defensively? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, you know, Creighton's been able to, 
you know, survive and even thrive at times with defenders who don't impose you physically. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think, honestly, I kind of give a lot of this, a lot of credit to this for, to Mitch Ballack, because back in October, when, you know, we were kind of talking off to the side, uh, just about his impressions of, of Steven, you know, obviously the shooting was a big component of the conversation, but, you know, he, he thought there was something there defensively in terms of his competitiveness that he thought was going to surprise people when it was all said and done. You know, even though you just couldn't see it from a physical standpoint and couldn't kind of picture it in your mind, I don't know. He kind of felt there was something there in terms of his competitiveness and the way he fights, um, you know, whatever that it factor is in terms of how bad you want to win. You know, it, it kind of comes out in moments like that when you're when you have to be when you have to be good at something that doesn't necessarily fall into the mm-hmm. into one of your strength categories, you know. So Stephen Ashworth's not like a lockdown defender or a pickpocket, but he's competitive, you know. And if you're in the right position, then you just you know fight hard on the end of the floor and 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 you know check the boxes in terms of the game plan of what you're doing on your matchup and and what you're doing on the floor and you're communicating, like you can, you can turn into a pretty impactful defender, you know, from a team defensive scheme, if you're doing all those things. And I think that's something that he identified early. So I got to give him credit for that. And I think we've seen it now the last couple of games when he's guarded some dangerous scores, some dangerous perimeter scores and made them, you know, even though he like, hasn't fully like shut them down, like uh, Kyrie Thomas or Tyshawn Alexander did in the past. Mm-hmm. He's made them uncomfortable and frustrated them. I mean, Quincy Oliveri yeah. got a frustration technical foul in the first half last yep. year. Like, I don't think he thought in his mind coming into this game that, you know, six foot, 180 pound Stephen Ashworth was going to, was going to put him on tilt mentally like that. And then all of a sudden, like the first bucket he gets, um, or the second bucket he gets in the game, you know, late in the first half, he just shoves Ashworth and draws a tech, you know, it's like, that's, the kind of thing that you can do if you're Steven Ashworth defensively, you can have that type of impact. So, um, yeah, it was big. And I think it's a, I think it's something that's in him. I don't think it's a, it's an anomaly because it's been identified, you know, it's just a, all a matter if it can come out or not. How much do you think of his development? And, and you can bring, you know, there's no Nemhard. We know that. I mean, John Rothstein yesterday just had himself a Ryan Nemhard day because Nemhard's playing pretty well. He's got, 25 assists, zero turnovers last three games. Okay, so that's always going to be hanging around. But I think you and Jacob have talked about this because Shireman, Alexander, and Kalkbrenner's role have changed with a different type of guard in Ashworth who isn't going to give you the high efficiency at the rim rate. So there's that part. If you could address offensively how you think it's taken them a while to adjust. But I want to stick with defense first and foremost. How much of it do you think... Ashworth now understands he's playing on a team where he has a guy like Kalkbrenner. If he makes a subtle mistake on defense, Kalkbrenner is there at the rim to bail him out or at least give him some help. Oh, I think it's a big part of it. I think it goes across the whole team. So, I mean, I mean, their defense is like scheme to. I mean, you know, when you think of when you think of basketball, you think keep your man in front of you. You know, stay in, stay in front of the ball. Like, don't get beat. You know, this way or that way. Like Creighton kind of wants to get beat. <laughs> like they want to, they want to run you off the three point line. They want to funnel you into areas of the floor where Kalkbrenner's waiting. Like it's it's really. I think it's why teams always fall into the trap because it's it's kind of irresistible to avoid having an angle on your man when you're dribbling. And 
Like if you think you can beat him, beat him, and you think you you start a chain reaction that you're able to make mm-hmm. plays off of that. But with the way Creighton's defense sets up, like once you get into that area of the floor, they don't let you make plays out of it. So you have no choice but to shoot over Kalkbrenner. And if you're the on-ball defender, you know your responsibilities are just kind of stay attached. Like you don't have to stay in front; just stay attached. Like get a rear view contest, stay on the hip keep your hands back, don't reach in, don't foul, just make them take tough shots. And that's what Creighton's defense is kind of built to do. So it takes some pressure off of you as an on-ball defender because you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, lock up a guy. You just have to put it, you just have to make sure you're sending them to the right part of the floor. Um, And I think, I think, you know, with Ashworth to your point of him trying to find where he fits the best. I think there's multiple components to that because I think you're seeing it offensively. I mean, last night, how many times did the ball touch his hands and then go immediately into Kalkbrenner and then him cut oh, off of that? Thank God. I, mean, I, lost, count. I lost count. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's who he is. He's not, he doesn't have to be a ball dominant playmaking point guard. He just has to make the right read, the right play, cut off the ball, face the floor, be ready when the ball hits his hands, if he's open for a shot, come off pick and rolls and, either get into the midi or, you know, pull up from three, you know, get to the rim to kind of to, to drag a defense with him and then, you know, make plays out of that. Like there's, there's a lot of components to it offensively for Steven that don't necessarily result in a statistic, but it impacts the offense in a big way. And I think he's really getting comfortable in terms of, you know, how to, how to play that role to the best of his abilities. Matt, if there was a fatigue concern that I had going yesterday, I said I was curious if the turnover bug would come back uh, to Creighton. You know, if if there was some some sloppy play or what have you. I know it, it, at one point I almost felt like they had more than what they really did have, and give Xavier credit, they were actually taking advantage of that. But we have seen that number come down, and it, it, whether we're talking about Stephen Ashworth or Trey, and, and just the overall ball handling in valuing the basketball, what have you kind of noticed as of late that's kept that number down? Well, I mean, a couple things in the last couple of games, I think their spacing's yeah. been sharper, you know, and when you're not driving into clutter, it's kind of easier to take care of the ball because they do have, you know, talented ball handlers. When you look at Strider and Alexander and Ashworth, they're all kind of like, they all have some, I mean, obviously uh, Ashworth and Trady, but like even with Baylor, there's a lot of point guard instincts there you know a good ball handler a good good creator off the bounce both for himself and his Mm -hmm. teammates um and honestly like the turnovers were a problem in the first half like they had four live ball turnovers that Xavier Xavier didn't like you know sometimes points off turnovers is a is a um you know it's a misleading yeah a team will like a team will like take the ball from you or like cause a turnover that they don't run down your throat and score right away they kind of just execute against your quarter-court defense, but, like, Xavier actually punished Creighton for live ball turnovers immediately. I mean, mm-hmm. they're up one at halftime, and they're up nine to three in points off turnovers, and all nine of those points came off live ball, quick turnaround, back-to-buckets um, possessions, you know. So they were back-breaking in the first half. So for Creighton only have three, and I think the one the one live ball turnover that Xavier scored on in the second half was after Trey blocked uh, – I think Oliveri or McKnight at the rim and Baylor saved the ball inbound. Yeah, and then it got flipped out. Yeah. Yeah, like it was kind yeah. of like a broken play. It wasn't yeah. really, it was just Baylor made an extra effort and mm-hmm. the ball just bounced the wrong way, you know. So it wasn't like a mistake by Creighton necessarily. So 
they really cleaned that up in the second half, which was, you know, which was curious because, like, I think the legs affected them more in the first half than they did the second. I really think once the adrenaline kicked in and once, you know, Kaufbender called it his second win last night, once they got their second win, you know, they they really were pretty clean last night. Hey, uh, we'll get chatter on this. And and I know that we, we, we talk about officiating a lot, but would yay or nay, the Big East has an officiating problem. Not just Creighton games, but throughout the entire league. Um, I don't know. My opinions on this is always skewed because every time someone thinks they've seen the worst thing they've ever seen in men's basketball, I watch a women's basketball game well, the next day, and I see hey, like you know what I mean. If I, hey, I don't know. You, you and I are together on women's basketball. They've got to if if the sport is blowing up like it is, they've got to fix the men and women that work the women's game. You and I are, are together on that, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, so that, that to me is, I, I have a tough time um, kind of like putting men's basketball in a bubble because I, I, I've seen worse, you know? <laughs> especially in the same sport, I've seen worse. So I don't know if the Big East has an officiating problem, and especially not one that's like unique to any other conference, I would say, you know? Um, I certainly think like the game in Newark was, I mean, that one, they just lost total control of that and just never got it back, you know, which mm-hmm. I think happens in yeah. games sometimes. So, you know, you kind of just dismiss it. I, I, but honestly, like, I've seen a lot of backlash because the Big East is such a, is such a physical league, so a lot of these teams kind of rack up foul counts. <laughs> and Creighton's sitting over here, that's like their their whole, like, everything about who they are defensively is counterintuitive to what the Big East does, like, they don't, they don't go after you. They don't rake at you. They don't try to like they, you know, they play with their hands back. They play positioning defense. Like they try to funnel you into certain areas. They don't try to create turnovers. That's kind of counter to a lot of the way the Big East plays. You know, if you're not, I mean, DePaul and Georgetown play no defense, so it's not like they're fouling or stopping you from scoring. But I think it's like people wonder why Creighton's defense is so good without fouling, and I think it's, they just don't understand the way Creighton plays. So they see these foul disparities in all these Creighton games, and they think, you know, there's a ref, there's an officiating problem when really it's just a discipline problem, honestly. Like, Creighton is just the most disciplined defense in the Big East. So it causes that shock value yeah. for, for certain I teams. I don't know if there's a big problem, though. Well, it might be, we, this might be a bigger discussion. It might just be a college basketball thing. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of you. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of new officials that are working high-level college basketball these days. Yeah, and honestly, like, if you, when you look at officiating schedules, too, they work a lot of games in a week. So I, I think by the time you get to, like, Saturday or Sunday and all these marquee games are happening on national television and you're seeing, you know, some poor officiating maybe decide some of these games, you know, you got to think about the fact that this is, like, the sixth game or, you know, fourth game in six days for these officials in different cities. So it's like that's a problem, too. Like, their pool, their pool of officials in the sport needs to get bigger. Yep. And I mean, I think that's why you NCAA put out the officiating. Um, I don't know what you would call it. It was just kind of like a tip of the cap to officials and kind of encouraging others to kind of get involved in officiating because I think they know that their, their, their crews are overworked a little bit and they need to like expand their, their pool of, of, you know, of officials to, uh, to counter that. So, I mean, I think that's a part of it too. I mean, we talk about player fatigue, but you know, the officials are running up and down the floor trying to make these calls in, in real time too. So 
team doesn't impact. Yep. Before you cut me off, though, I did want to add to the Creighton-Nebraska uh, NCAA tournament. Please vibe, do. You know? Yes. <laughs> so I want you to I, – I definitely agree with you that, like, if uh, Nebraska stays on track and um, if Creighton stays on track, that that NCAA tournament day will be, will be crazy around here. But I want you to picture this from the eyes of someone following Creighton, okay? Okay. Because we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary of it this year. That's right. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So San Antonio, Texas. You have Iowa State fans three years after Greg McDermott's tenure. You obviously have Creighton fans. Yeah. You have Nebraska fans for the first time since, uh, what was it, 20 years? When was the last time they made the tournament before 2014? 98. Okay. So you have Nebraska fans for the first time in 15 years with their team there. You have North Carolina fans yeah. with Ethan Rogge still on Creighton's roster, mm-hmm. okay? And you have Providence fans all in the same city on the same weekend. Yep. So, like, picture that from the mind of a Creighton follower, a Creighton fan. Like, if you're there for Creighton and you're wearing Creighton gear and you're walking around the city with all those people, <laughs> like, yeah, Creighton, Nebraska, <laughs> in an NCAA tournament at the same time, yeah, it's just different, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Hey, we appreciate it. Great stuff. Uh, uh, I, get, I got listen when I get off the air to you and uh, Jacob late night last night, but I'm sure it'll be fabulous after that one. Uh, we'll see you later this weekend. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. That's uh, Matt Marinas from uh, White Blue uh, Review. Yeah, that was um, that trip to San Antonio was wild because of the teams that were there and the fact that you know, Nebraska hadn't been there in a while. Yeah. And Creighton. Creighton liked their chances. That you had that. That was like the yeah. Last, you know, last that was gonna be the, for Doug. Yeah, it was gonna be like a. They were a potential Final Four team. At the very least, they were getting into that second weekend. But when you looked at with the way the bracket shook out, and you saw Baylor, and I know that the thought was, "Hey, Nebraska beats Baylor. We get a Nebraska Creighton game for the round of thirty-two. Oh my God, this would be amazing." Then you kind of saw what Baylor did too. But knowing that Baylor team, we're like, "This is gonna be a, a unique challenge." But He's right about all the different fan bases that were on location there too. I just this one, it, it just it feels like it, if if this does happen again, it has to happen. I don't know if you're going to see both of them in the same location, but I just think the day of if they're both playing on the same day here in in the state of Nebraska, especially here in Omaha, man, that animosity kicks in. It, it really does. And I think it's going to be a little bit more heightened than what we even saw in 2014. Because I think even what we had the the Jader call in about, it was it was more of kind of a, I remember sort of a feel-good vibe of where we were doing our show at the time, of people were kind of all-inclusive of both the Nebraska and Creighton participation. I feel like now, almost 10 years removed, there's going to be a little bit of a divide. There's going to be a little bit more of a line. A little bit. A little bit more I of just, a line that's, that's going to be existed. I know there's storylines. Don't send them to the same location don't send nebraska here to omaha no um, they've been there before but there's, there's also part of what matt just said about coming up on the 10-year anniversary of our trip to the at&t center in san antonio new name since then yes the, the, the place that, bank center the place that has hookers outside of course <laughs> and no defense <laughs> no defense and hookers yeah I was thinking of Victor. And Teams like, could yeah, score yeah, 70 I mean, yeah, I mean, points when would, I was San Antonio would, women of the night. You would think Victor Webanyama would be uh, um, more of a, a face of that. You know who You're also was in the there. building that day? Mm, not me. I would, don't look at me. Yeah, I wasn't remind there. me. 
Fred Aloysius Hoiberg. Yeah. As the head coach yeah. of the Iowa State Cyclones, who beat oh, gosh, North what, Carolina yeah, Central there, yeah. as a three seed and then followed up by beating North Carolina. I didn't know his middle name was Aloysius. It is today. Okay. Yeah. When you when you Tiberius are, when, tomorrow. When you're on the cusp of uh matching your largest win total. Wouldn't it be amazing? February. That really was his his middle name was Aloysius. Yeah, Aloysius. Leviticus <laughs> Hoiberg. Let's be fair. Let's, I uh, told you Fred's middle initial started. Middle name's first initial was an A. I don't think anybody would say. Oh, oh Aloysius. No. no, it is uh, Christian, spelled with a K. Christian. Frederick, Frederick Christian, Christian Hoiberg. Hoiberg. Okay. Yes. <laughs> What'd you say? What was it? Alopecia. Aloysius. Hey. Aloysius. One. What we when we come back, I'm, we, I've got some background on the College Baseball Hall of Fame. But I want to say this one thing about Fred. So you you know, I told you guys, would you pay extra to have a Tomanaga, a Tomanaga, Tomanaga ISO cam? Like, yeah. you would have asked for your money back last night. He wasn't very good. And no, he wasn't I, moving at all. He didn't seem super engaged in the game. Agreed. That's fine. Nebraska won a game in which he scored five. But I now want the ISO cam because I sit a, sit up across from Nebraska's bench, and he gets caught doing this. Anytime Nebraska does something poor, like a bad pass or a bad decision, <laughs> bad shot, Fred is not afraid oh, Fred. to like grimace or do the face palm or anything yeah. like that. It's actually it's kind of entertaining. You're talking about when when Sam had the Aaron pass went right to Fred. Well, and he, he immediately catches it in like in motion. Goes, yeah, but <laughs> there was spiked uh, it. There was so you know in the first half last night, <laughs> Nebraska for some reason just kept driving into traffic. Yeah, and I'm like. Whoa, this is good. And I, I said, and, and Ohio State got out to a nine-point lead. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this might be one of those nights. And every time that happened, I would immediately look over to Fred. And Fred would just drop his head, and he'd walk, you know, start walking away from the scores table. Or or he would just, you know, like like bump his face. As much as Fred will show emotion, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, wow. Like, like Fred, Fred's not afraid. When they make a bad yeah. play, Fred is not afraid. He doesn't care if a camera's on him or not. <laughs> So good job, Frederick Christian Hoiberg. I like Aloysius better. Yeah, that's just more fun. Let's just let's let's roll with that at least for the day. All right, uh, we'll get to some emails, some tweets, uh, some Jay haters, some Jay lovers, Jaders. Uh, people want to know about more about the kid and his conversation with John Cook last night. So you had the kid, <laughs> the goat at the game, and somebody wants to know what happens if you root for all three Mavericks. Jays and Huskers. Yeah, Nicholas on the Twitter. What do you call? Does anybody ever root against the Mavs, though? No, nobody nobody roots against the Mavs. Like Switzerland. Yeah, everybody loves Switzerland. Absolutely. Until you play them in hockey in the Olympics, and then you want to beat them. (laughs) Or you meet a girl from Switzerland, and she takes all your money and all your candy and moves back home. Yeah, but other than that, you speak from experience. Yeah, no. Okay. I've never. uh, He'd keep the candy. You don't let anyone walk out with the candy. Sometimes it's not your choice. They're shifty, that. They're shifty of, that way. I was, I, I, you know what? I have kept my relationships pretty localized. There's a lot of Nebraska. You've never gone outside the states, uh, Georgia. <laughs> I forgot that's a different country. <laughs> not the Russia. <laughs> I thought maybe you had an Eastern Bloc phase at some point. Uh, no, I never got that opportunity. I never have either. Yeah, it wasn't my choice. I, I, I was all inclusive when it came to that, but yeah, just never had that, that opportunity either. I'd always be interested. Yeah. I've, I've, I've pretty much kept it close to home. It'd be cool to, you know, like at, at some point in my dating life to have had a girlfriend that had an accent. Minka, is it? Yeah. Something that had like an, like an Ivanishevich 
on her last name. I don't know. It's been uh, fun. My from Georgia, she had an accent. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I was like, was it like molasses spilling out your mouth? Here talking to uh, Dad. Hi, Gary. <laughs> was it like a Savannah? Excellent. From Atlanta. Oh, oh Atlanta. Atlanta. Oh, Hotland. All, all right. right. 38 past the hour. We'll uh, do all that uh, when we uh, come back. Uh, the Jay haters, the Jay Skurs, the Husker lovers, all of that stuff. Uh, good night for ball last night. I loved it. Good job. Both both programs took care of business last night. They're both sitting at 15 and 5, which brings a fun conversation to the table. Not all 15 and 5 are created We know that. They don't have to be. But all quad one games are created equal. <laughs> Mornings with Sharp and Hanley at 1620 The Zone. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.